Rolling. Hello and welcome. Ha <laughs> ha. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> the late challenge in the opening minute of the. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Stadio Podcast in Ringer FC. I'm Misa Kwonga. <laughs> I'm Ryan Hud. you got to keep going. I'm not going to do that intro <laughs> again. Just you keep motoring, man. <laughs> just taking it one podcast at a time. Exactly, exactly. You're not getting too carried away. Yeah. Glad to yeah. do well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you, man? Really, really good, actually. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. yeah. You look uh, so, you look very much like... Um, I don't know how to explain it. Okay, so I'm, I've been watching this um, Netflix documentary about um, video games. Yep, yep. And you do have the energy of one of these people that sat there and they're like, Musa Kwonga, <laughs> he's the guy who actually <laughs> built Streets of Rage. He's just chilling. He just <laughs> sold off the game. He's just chilling. For the last 25 years, he's just been <laughs> relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> very comfy. Yeah, I look, um, I look, I look comfy because I feel very comfy. It's, it's minus... I'm actually... I've got to say this, what we're doing today is as brave a thing as we've ever done on this podcast, which is we're, we're podcasting in sub-zero conditions. It's minus yeah, six. I mean, we're, I mean, we're not. We're not outside. Well, but, I, mean, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit less glamorous if you say it that way. But yeah, it is minus. Technically, it's, it's minus. It's sub-zero in Berlin. Currently, as it stands, the real feel temperature outside is minus 18. One thing I will say about this, and this is maybe a slightly sort of... I was going to say the one thing we are going to get are a load of Canadian people saying you don't know the cold yeah it's, <laughs> what it's are you always, talking about it's always canadians yeah i always catch a couple they can't resist it whenever i tweet I about saw cold, you fishing on twitter yeah. man and you were just like got him got, got, got him everyone <laughs> <laughs> shouts to everyone in canada yeah yeah we 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 know we know that we don't experience cold like you do yeah exactly and someone the funniest thing was a, a Canadian he replied to me and he said it, oh, it's always this way he said it's he didn't say it's embarrassing it's always this way he said, it's like we're the only ones experience cold oh man but so so any reason for for your um overflowing happiness I, I mean it's oozing through the screen Musa I'm just I'm just happy to see you Ryan Oh, what the? <laughs> what? He <laughs> can't, can't blagger blagger. Pandering strategic marketing. <laughs> oh God. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, 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 I'm good. It was a good weekend of football. You're good. You look happy. You look well. Uh, yeah, I'm fine, man. I'm fine. I'm just, yeah, staying cozy. First of all, we hope everyone's doing okay, staying yep, safe yep. and well, staying warm, or staying cool. If it's warm in your part of the world, uh, any admin we need to do? Mm-hmm. Just a um, couple of quick bits, I suppose. Stadio outros on Spotify. If you want to listen to, if, for those of you who do hang around until the end of the podcast, you will be aware that we do play out on a different piece of music each week. For those of you who never bother hanging around to the end of the podcast, well, first of all, what are you doing? Yeah. And second of all, yeah, we do play out on a different piece of music every week and we put them into a playlist. So it's the newest one at the top. Search for Stadio Outros on Spotify. You can find it there. Second piece of admin, check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. I'm on Wrighty's house this Wednesday. Just me and the big man. So that'll be fun. 
And yeah, I think that's everything admin wise. Sounds good. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, man, so we go to Anfield because Liverpool have lost three consecutive home league games for the first time since 1963. Oh my goodness, 63. Yes. That is wild. So Liverpool won, Manchester City four. Headlines, I suppose, outstanding performances from roughly in this order, I would say Phil Foden, Ilkay Gundogan, and then Raheem Sterling. You don't think Gundogan had the best of games? No, no, sorry. Oh, I was shaking yeah. my head because I oh. just think he's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was more like hand on head, Bobby Robson, oh, okay. uh, Ronaldo. Oh my yeah. goodness, I can't believe what I'm seeing from this guy. Th those three were outstanding. And then, you know, the rest of the City players, I thought Zinchenko was superb, actually. They were just all, they were, ter they were generally terrific. I mean, won a couple of mistakes here and there, but fundamentally just outstanding. And Liverpool, this was really worrying for Liverpool, actually. This was really worrying. Now, so the game was one all until about half an hour to go, funnily enough. But the tone was set. And this is the, the first thing I was thinking about this. We've said it before, the absence of crowds, but I don't realise how much Anfield contributes to the press. And it's simply this, right? You look at Burnley, Brighton and City who won. You do not get that much time on the ball when you're playing out from the back when Anfield is full. You just don't. There's a moment early in the game when Zinchenko, it almost set the tone for the game. Zinchenko wanders back towards his own byline keeps possession in tight spaces, then plays the ball out beautifully. And I thought to myself, can you be that leisurely? He effectively walks back 20 yards towards his own goal, plays the ball out beautifully, beautiful combination passing. And I thought to myself, in a packed Anfield, there is a split second less confidence and time to do all of that. And the thing about City that really looked brutal, it was nil-nil at half time. And Gary Neville said something funny. He said, oh, Ilkay Gandalf was poor in the first half. I said, no, he wasn't. Like, I know Neville's a genius, right? So I'm, I'm deferring to him. But just on this, Gundogan in the first half I thought was brilliant because what he did was he completely neutralised Thiago. Mm. Twice I think Thiago lost the ball in dangerous, in dangerous areas, right? Centrally allowing Gundogan to spring the counter and both times he hammered it into the feet I think of Sterling. And his ability to switch the play, his screening, so his defensive work when the game was still tight I thought was really, really good. His screening, his movement, the transition play was superb. 
So even at half time at nil nil, I mean, he missed, he missed a bad penalty, which made his performance look bad in the first half. I don't think it was. I think he was sitting the table. And Phil Foden, again, didn't score in the first half. But again, it was almost like his first half was a trailer performance for the second half. And the other thing that was interesting, I thought Curtis Jones was brilliant for Liverpool. I thought he was really, really good. And yeah, he was really good. When Klopp took him off, I was just like, my gut just said, you're taking off your best player. You're taking off the guy today who's been the best for you, in my opinion. I don't know if that's what you felt, but... I think he was really good. I think that Liverpool were... Hmm. I mean, they got away with one with a Gundogan penalty. They did, yeah, for sure. I thought he was better in the second half, but I didn't think he was poor in the first half. Me neither, no, no. Uh, he misplaced a couple of passes, but I mean, he didn't misplace that many in the game. I think he and had they like eight, they six, eight, seven percent And they weren't dangerous places. Yeah, they were, all, they were all in the opposition half, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he ends up more than making up for it for the two goals that he scored. But I thought that actually the scoreline skewed, I think, a bit of the perception of what this Liverpool side were up to. I think there's still a concern about balance, which mm. you saw. And the problem mm. is that this is Manchester City have now equaled the record for the most consecutive wins in all competitions in England, 14, along with two other teams, Arsenal in the 80s and Preston way, way back. So you're coming up against a side as informed as few other teams have been in, in history. Right, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. At a time where your balance is all off, you're yes. still under you're still under equipped. Yep. You're yep. under strength. Mm. You're playing two centre midfielders, one who can play centre back, but you're playing two centre midfielders still mm. at centre back. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In games like this, I do find it really interesting where one moment can then completely tip the balance and kind of skew the perception of what actually happened in the game. So for example, I think like there were two gigantic errors from Allison. Yes. That meant that the takeaways from this game were probably different to what they would have been if those errors hadn't happened. Because the thing that I find interesting about this is that it adds another element for people to talk about with Liverpool. So they've already got enough on their plate. Mm. It's really strange for him to do that. And I do worry a little tiny bit. Can I say I'm not worried? Because passing combinations are the key to this game. If you look at all the, the first half, is really interesting, right? If you look at the fluidity of the pass exchange between all those players, Gundogan and Foden, these players have played with each other for so long in training. Mm-hmm. And so many, like Foden has based, basically, he's played in every position in the front six apart from the DM, which he probably could play, quite frankly. He's that good, right? So now the interchange of passes is so good. One of the reasons why Alisson does this and makes his mistakes is because he's almost playing as if Van Dijk and Gomez are still in front of him. Those passing combinations and the way that they like to receive the ball, the risks that Alisson can take, those are risks he takes with Van Dijk because Van Dijk can turn out of trouble and he knows how he likes to get the ball. And these tiny margins, right? I know it sounds, it's again to what your point is. These tiny margins, Ryan, are what made the difference in this game. This is almost, this is almost why Liverpool don't need to worry. Too, they need to worry a little bit, but not too much. Because if you look at the City configuration, right? See how the, the wingers basically in the second half were basically coming in off their opposite feet incentivized to attack the gaps between the fullbacks and the centre-backs because those are not practice positions. Mm. And I think what Alisson needs to do in the next couple of games is just, there's one moment he did actually, but he just goes long. He just goes long a couple of times. And it's almost like... Which is fine. Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's almost like he's rewiring. You almost see him like rethinking, mm. do you know what, actually, I don't have the degree of comfort. Maybe I get away with this against a different, I'm not going to name a team because it's disrespectful, but I think what Alisson was doing, I think Alisson was playing with the confidence of someone that, I think he forgot who he was playing with because he has played the ball to Henderson and Fabinho before, I know that, but not in a game of this intensity and not at that range, you know. 
That makes sense. So the only reason I said Liverpool should be slightly concerned is when those fullbacks, they're, they're being forced to defend in ways that they maybe haven't been for a little while, just because the, the centre-backs give them so much more comfort. And it was, it was kind of disrespectful and it was symmetrical almost because the first goal came by attacking the gap between the centre-back and the full-back from Trent Alexander-Arnold and the final goal came from attacking and cutting on off Robertson. Now, I know that those are great finishes and whatever. I'm just, it's just interesting that that's what City did. City are like automatic. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We've seen how many times they work the ball into the position to score or work the chance that's like the City goal, you know. Of course, kind yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. To the byline, driven in. They scored one against Burnley that, that way. They scored a couple this weekend against Liverpool that way or yeah. created chances that way. They're just really worrying at the moment. I think it's very easy and kind of understandable for Liverpool fans to be a little bit down on what they're seeing at the moment, especially after what we saw from them last season and the mm. season before. I saw an amazing stat on Match of the Day where they said that Liverpool have had a point per game average drop-off at home since crowds went away. Doesn't surprise me at all. I I'm, think for I, Liverpool it's concerning. Yeah. It's concerning yeah. because I think the gap is, is wider than they thought it would be and obviously the, consecutive, the three consecutive home defeats isn't something to be... You know, it's never nice when you equal a record that you haven't done for, what, 50 years, 60 yeah. years nearly. But also, I don't think they're as far away as some people are maybe suggesting because I think you've seen with the league this season that like one week, someone can look like they could make a title challenge. Manchester United, prime example, what a difference 10 days make. You look at Chelsea now, like Tuchel is pushing them for a Champions League spot already and he's only been there, what, four games? It's, yeah, I think that Chelsea team like is this. growing. Yeah. yeah, it can change super quickly, and I think that with yeah. Liverpool, if everything was, for, if they had full strength and everything was going fine, and they were still in this position, I'd be more concerned. But also, again, like I'm saying before, like it's just super weird. I think it's it's a really weird season, and Manchester City are one of those teams who have just. I think teams are going to find. I know I'm going on a rant here, so apologies, but I know I think teams are going to find little grooves throughout the season and Manchester United were in that groove for a bit Spurs were in that groove before them and now it's Manchester City who have kind of crept up on everyone a little bit ominously maybe Liverpool might get their groove back towards the end of the season and make a little push and they could finish second by like three points in the end you never know City like that spaceship in Independence Day they're just looming just they're, there. Just, they're just yeah, there yeah and you know you know what I say the biggest emblem of what of the weirdness of this season is seeing Alan Maximan heavily involved in both opening goals, in the opening goals for Newcastle, having recovered from the worst effects of long COVID. Yeah. This is somebody who was basically in bed for substantial periods the last few weeks with just severe fatigue. And mm -hmm. you see him in that game against Southampton, like he's been released from a catapult. Yep. That right there, that is this season in a microcosm. And look, I still think Liverpool have a couple of concerns with this game like I say oh, I think yeah, I just, absolutely. I, I just yeah. want I just want to say again I've, I've never mentioned it before but I you know obviously a big Curtis Jones fan and I've made this comparison before and people won't like it but see the way he receives possession all over the field is the here outlet go. here we go everyone get ready to drink yep it's the Iniesta comparison actually there it is everyone do, do you know like that, that, that Van Hal thing like Muller always plays mm. I feel like that I feel like it's going to be like that after a while Jones always plays yeah, I mean, he's, he is, there was that moment where he trapped back in the second half and kind yeah, of swept and up for Trent. And first half like, as well, dispossessed Phil Foden on the yeah. break. Just, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. 
we we had we had a, a number of people tweeting us about this game. Statement loss or statement win, said said Bina Chroma. Christian Moreno said an angry goal contender for Phil Foden. A couple of other people said it was an angry goal. It, I don't believe this was an angry goal, actually. I don't think it was, no. No, no not an angry no. goal. He was in the flow. He was just A powerful it. strike, but yeah, not yeah. an angry goal. Just yeah. because it's been hit hard doesn't mean it's been hit with anger, I believe. I know that we make this up as we go along, um, but it's our podcast. So Can I also say it. as well, any game in which Gundogan scores twice, is officially a masterpiece. If you look at every game in which Gundogan scores twice throughout football history, that game will have been a masterpiece by his, t- a masterclass by his team. You mean Gundogan scored at Anfield twice? Twice. 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 <laughs> we need to talk about Phil Foden really quickly because yes, he has been yes. playing lights out. And I think he's genuinely one of the most exciting English midfielders to emerge in the last, I think, 20 years. I'm glad you said 20. I was going to say 20. I agree. He's unbelievable, Ryan. Yeah. He's unbelievable. I think that this is, if if this was a player who was emerging for that Spanish side in about 2010, he'd be legendary. I think people would be genuinely, genuinely excited about him. I think people are excited about him anyway, but I think that he is so good. He's astonishing. And you're seeing what the benefit of a run of games for him is. He looks way more free. Yeah. Actually, if you think about it, after Pep getting a lot of questions about how he was handling Foden's development, he knew what he was doing. You kind of can't really fault him for it. Well, it's not like Pep hasn't developed astonishing talent before. This is the thing. The thing that Foden gives you, the intelligence, the drive, the positioning, the movement, the touch, it's all, it's just, it's mesmeric. It's very like David Silva, it's on the front foot, it's all of that. And there's no, I don't feel any hesitation to make those comparisons because that's just what we're seeing. Mm. When you go and play at an elite level like that and you're running midfield like that, I can't say enough about how exciting this guy is to watch. He's amazing. We had a number of people tweeting us about Ruben Diaz dragging Sinchenko into position. Incredible. Like it wasn't, like he wasn't already going through enough. (laughs) <laughs> behind the wall yeah behind the wall <laughs> Ruben Diaz is just like you're not doing it right and just casually dragged him there was a wonderful moment Ruben Diaz half a foot across yeah there was a wonderful moment what Ruben Diaz's only mistake of the game was when he gave the penalty away and mm. there's a beautiful moment where he makes the contact with Salah and Salah's been pulled back and it's a penalty and there's, you see the precise moment on Salah's face and he's like yeah that's enough contact I'm going now. You just see him yeah. like, he's, he's, he's going, yeah, that, that'll do, that'll do. Yeah. yeah, he's like, ah, oh, that'll do. <laughs> One observation from the weekend, number of coaches wearing woolly hats or bubble hats, which I'm into. Love seeing Klopp switch, like ditch the cap. Mm. I'm not wild about capped Klopp, to be honest. Never have been. Maybe he isn't either. Chris Wilder, Thomas Tuckle, um, both rocking woolly hats, which we love to see. Casey Stoney, looking like she was about to steal your soul and break zero sweat doing it in the Super League which we'll talk about later because the Super League this weekend was interesting let's talk about Manchester United Everton some game it was a great game it was a great game so Manchester United 3 Everton 3 one of those uh, draws that feels like a defeat home Mm. game for United uh, United 3-2 up Um, with 20 minutes to go and conceded in the fifth minute of injury time to Calvert-Lewin and David De Gea looking worryingly passive. So the positives were that United played with um, authority in attack. Cavani got a lovely header at the far post, beautifully constructed goal. A great swirling strike by uh, Bruno Fernandes or Fernandes, uh, 
uh, correct pronunciation. And then McTominay scored with 20 minutes to go. And it's a lovely goal. Uh, but then United bring on Tuan Zebe, um to see out the game, which hasn't worked out well for them this year and didn't work out either. He got a lot of racial abuse. Uh, monkey emojis sent at him again on Instagram, to the point where he's now limiting comments on his Instagram, which is heartbreaking, frankly. And then um, United don't see the game out and, equalize, and, and um, Everton equalised. But David De Gea, this is really heartbreaking for him because De Gea, for years, was by far United's best player. And the extent to which he's tarnished that reputation, is just, mm-hmm. it's actually quite sad to see at this point. Because there is such a passivity when he comes out for the ball, Ryan. It's almost like watching a different goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. It's like watching someone, it's so hard to explain. It's like watching someone who is permanently hypnotized by the horror of their previous mistake. When you see him turn away after a bad concession, the look on his face is almost like, my God, this has happened again. And it doesn't inspire confidence, unfortunately. You know, no. the final goal when Calvert Lewin scores. The weird thing is this, Ryan, that passage of play had continued for another 15 seconds and I'm still not sure if at any point De Gea would have been assertive, if he would have shouted anything, come for it. It simply looked as if he was frightened before the ball arrived in the box. Mm. His confidence is absolutely gone. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really bad goal to concede, especially that late in the game. I enjoyed Dominic Calvert-Lewin's interview after the game where he was just like, oh, I had no worries. You know, it hit me in the midriff. It's just really nice when you hear players say midriff. Yes. It's very, it's, it seems like commentator terminology when you actually hear a player say it, you know, it hit me in, wasn't worried about the handball, it hit me in the midriff. Very sort of like, like oh, Dickensian, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks. I love Carlo Ancelotti after the game as well, actually, where he just, he looked like he couldn't, he literally couldn't think of anything to say. I mean, happy for him, happy for Everton. I suppose the result, some will look at it as, oh, you know, like United can't, they're not a contender. Well, they are and they aren't because they're second in the league. Um, the thing is that City are just lights out at this point. And games like this, results like this, they're a reminder of, you know, there being work to do, but this won't be news to Solskjaer. I know we mentioned it before, Chelsea beating Sheffield United 2-1, although Sheffield United had a chance really early on from Oliver Burke to take the lead. And I, I wonder if that had gone in, how different that would have been. What level of punditry, what level of uh, punditry that is for from us. Mm. But um, Burnley and Brighton was one all. We mentioned Newcastle against Southampton. That was a huge win for Newcastle. And yeah, yeah. Southampton would be very disappointed, especially playing so long against 10 men. Mm. I'm always a bit wary after a seismic result like that of judging the next game immediately. They didn't get a response that I imagine Hasenhutl would have wanted. So I think it's worth keeping very close eye on Saints over the next few weeks because they're in a really poor run of form mm. that was kind of c- cemented by the 9-0. You know, when I was talking to Rob about it, uh, Southampton Rob, I was saying that statistically it wasn't actually that bad a performance. I don't think it was just one of those games where you know sometimes it's really it can be really difficult to break down a really really solid side who's gone down to ten men. And they had a couple of opportunities as well. Like Danny Ings was offside for one. He hit the post with another. He mm-hmm. actually had a chance in the first half where he took a really poor touch, which made the difficult the chance way more difficult for him. So I, w- I, again, like I was saying before, like I wouldn't, the same with Liverpool, even though it's really easy to be genuinely concerned, I wouldn't, I wouldn't press the panic button yet. Also, also Newcastle were, in fairness to Newcastle, they were playing with a bit more freedom than I've seen for a while. Yeah. And, I, Joe and that's what happens. Yeah, Joe, yeah. And assisted one as well, I think. Like yeah. Joe so, Willock, you know, yeah. Yeah. Willock is a really nice addition for them. He looked great. Actually, and him and Sam Maximum already look like they're kind of have yeah, hit up a little bit of a partnership. They've got a great chemistry, mm-hmm. great movement, great touch. They're quick, so you know. I just think maybe and maybe as well, 
maybe they caught Southampton a little bit cold, like because Newcastle, they were extremely assertive early mm. on. And we, we haven't really seen that from them, to be honest, that often. Mm. So it's up to Newcastle too. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you catch teams running hot, that's the way it goes. Newcastle have been on an absolute tear since uh, Bielsa the Bruce Whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> Before we move on from the Premier League and take a break, Aston Villa have done a double over Ar- league double over Arsenal for the first time since the first Premier League season. Mm. Uh, they beat Arsenal 1-0 at Villa Park. Second minute goal from Ollie Watkins and then that was kind of it. I mean, mm. the only thing I would say is that Arsenal were not great, but were by no means dreadful. They just couldn't really create a huge amount of chances. They had loads of the ball and quite a number of shots, but they didn't really test Martinez enough, I don't think. And there was that Odegaard shot where he came on, which I think he would have, he should have at least hit the target with, and I think he'd be really disappointed with. But I think Odegaard should be pushing for a start now, actually. I think the last few games, Emil Smith-Rowe has looked a little bit leggy, and I don't think has been played with the fluidity that we saw against when he, you know, when he came in against like the likes of West Brom. I think Odegaard is a good option to put in there and obviously he wants to play football. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him starting soon. But from Villa, they've already equaled the amount of points they got last season. And, well no, the amount of wins, I do believe, sorry, that they had last season. I don't think this is the best Villa performance we've seen this season. Right. I mean, this is the kind of game Villa weren't winning, right? Mm. Like, well, they took the lead within the first five minutes and just held out. I mean, Martinez... Martinez has been Showed such it. a big boost for them. Yeah, it's um, superb, superb. The only thing that I would say about this game is I do think Arsenal should have had a penalty. I think the, okay. the, the pull on Lacazette, I think it's a penalty. Mm. I can't really understand why it wasn't referred to the referee to check. But if I'm being brutally honest, I don't want to go on a VAR rant because otherwise we'd be here all day. But I'm, oh God, yeah, yeah. I was actually, I used to be quite like pro VAR. Yeah, me too, me too. I think this season it's pushed me over the edge a little bit. I think the problem is, not the technology, it's the human application. As with so many things, with so many things in human history, yeah. With humans, technology is not the problem, yeah. Humans yeah. ruining technology, shocker. Yeah, exactly. Who would have thought? This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, let's go to the Super League because the Super League was absolutely wild this weekend. Chelsea's unbeaten run came to an abrupt end at home. They lost to Hope Pals, Brighton and Hove Albion. After taking the lead pretty early on, right? I, d- I did find Hope Pals' interview after the game quite f- funny, actually. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> she said, this is the standard we've set and now we have to push on from here. And as she was saying this, the stats were coming up at the bottom and they'd had like, I don't know, like 12% possession or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, this is the standard. Sorry, I know that's a little bit mean because it was an amazing result for Brian, but I was just like, mm. Mm, you know, if they'd kind of absolutely, completely bossed them, yeah, you thought that maybe, yeah, that would, that would have been okay. But Chelsea took the lead with Sam Kerr after, what, five minutes? That header from a corner, lovely header actually. Yeah. And then they brought all the big guns on in the second half because they did rotate Chelsea. Yeah, brought on Soyunji, brought on Frank Kirby, brought on Pinilla Harder all at the same time for Guru Wright and Jess Fleming and Beth England mm. and instantly started to really bother Brighton. 
Yeah. Penilla Harder hit the post. But then Megan Connolly got the winner for Brighton with, what, 12, 13 minutes about ago? About 12, yeah, about 15 to A real shock, I thought. It wasn't, it was, it, this was obviously a huge shock because of Brighton's previous results, but I saw, I watched the Brighton-Man City game um, because I was, I was actually watching it for Man City because they had all these new signings and trying to integrate them. So I was wanting to see how it gelled and it was nil-nil. And I just remember thinking, Brighton were really, really, in specific games, you know, one-off games, because obviously the squad depth means that Brighton will always struggle to challenge at any meaningful level. But their resilience in that game was really striking. Mm. So while I saw the result, I was like, okay, this feels like the biggest result of the weekend, because I think it is really, if you look at like the context of the, you know, unexpected, but also just knowing that on their day, how dogged Brighton could be, if that makes sense. And in a team where the finishing is a little bit profligate, I mean, not to say I even saw anything like this coming because I think like Brighton just got completely done by City just a couple of weeks ago, 7-1. So whatever problems City had with Brighton, they ironed out. And the answer just seems to be, frankly, unleash Chloe Kelly, which is, you know, the answer to most problems in the WSL these days. Um, yeah, Brighton's Probably really- signing the season? This is the I thing. Think. She's my favourite. She's my favourite playmaker in that City team. Mm. In terms of what she does, like I think it was Caroline Weir previously was someone who you'd rely on for certain goals in certain games, maybe sort of last season. And this year, it's Chloe Kelly who just is an absolute problem because her movement is so deceptive. She mm-hmm. ducks in and out. She tucks wide. I think we said this last week as well, actually. She popped up again last week. If it, generally speaking, she seems to be the element for them. Like at the, at the moment, she's the one that kind of elevates that attack and finds the gaps that others can't. Uh, I mean, she had a really good performance on the weekend as well. Beating Arsenal 2-1, Manchester City at Arsenal. The slight concern for Arsenal is they keep losing the tight big games. Not keep losing them. It's not entirely fair, but more often than not, the really, really tight games, this top sort of three, well, not top three, but you know, traditional top three, obviously like Man, Man United have gatecrashed that top three at the moment, but Arsenal just slightly struggling, I think, in those, those encounters, if that makes sense. I think sense. they're in trouble, actually. Okay, yeah. I think they're in yeah. a bit of trouble. I think that they are, there's an investigation going on, I believe, with their training re- regimes because they keep losing way too many players to injury. They oh never really feel like they've got a balanced, settled squad, Arsenal. Mm. And this is something that I think has cost them in the league. Yeah, that's interesting. But they've not really had a great time since like November-ish. It was only their third defeat of the season, but the second in the last four in the league. They do have a game in hand on Man City, but even then, they're still only four points behind them. And I think that it's going to be extremely difficult for them to get Champions League this season, I think. But like the game itself, I mean, we were talking about Chloe Kelly before. She assisted for both goals. She assisted Ellen White, and she assisted Lauren Hemp's. Lauren Hemp's header was like really aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, I love the ball. I love it when the ball drifts like that. I love yeah. it when... For me, what I love about a header like that is it comes at the end of a move where the defence has been utterly deconstructed. Mm. And when, when, a, when, a, when a player comes in on that angle, I mean, to be honest, both, both the City goals were gorgeous, actually. They were really good. I mean, the Ella that White half was unbelievable. Oh my clattering, God. This clattered half volley on the, you know, on the half, when you hit it on the half turn like that, when it comes across your body and let it run across your slide and you just, this, this is one of the few occasions when it's not the keeper's fault where you get beaten at that angle. Because oh, the connection I mean, was so good pure. Luck, yeah. Good luck anyone saving that. Off yeah, the bar as well. So, connection was so pure, yeah. So good. It was strike. so good. And I'm not sure if it was an angry goal, but a frustrated goal because <laughs> Ellen White like, forgot to do her little glasses celebration until she remembered <laughs> about 
halfway through the, the huddle uh, and she kind of quickly did it as if to be like, oh shit, but yeah, I yeah. did that and then just like, pulled her away again. <laughs> but I mean, Arsenal did well to get back into it. Yeah. There was a great bit of commentary. Roared to Ford who scored. You know that was waiting in the drafts. Very you strong. <laughs> very, very strong indeed. Um, I mean, Arsenal did deserve it. They were playing really well. But then after, the, after Arsenal equalised, Man City, they just went into another level. When the goal came, it had been coming for a long, yeah. long time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well-deserved for Manchester City. The other big shock of the weekend, I suppose, was the fact that Manchester United lost at home 2-0 to Reading. Yeah. Reading aren't, you know, they're sixth in the league. They're mid-table. They're not, you know, one of the, the, poor si- the poorest sides in the, in the Super League. But still, Manchester United were not good. And Casey Stoney did not look happy after the game at all. I mean, she, she really looks that chipper anyway, to be honest. But quite poor for Manchester United, I think. Conceding the way that they did, wasting quite a few chances. With Chelsea's defeat at home to Brighton, Manchester United could have gone top again. Mm. The really annoying thing, I think, for Casey... Well, she said after the game, she said, if you want to win the league, can't lose those games. Which is, right, she's right. completely right. She's been there and done it. I mean, it's that all cliche. There's worse weekends to lose games. Yeah. One positive thing I want to shout out for the weekend, just ra- completely randomly, and I, meant, I mean to say this every time that we do a podcast and I just always completely forget. I just want to shout out Jane Ludlow. Jane Ludlow is one of the best co-commentators in all of football. I swear to God, she's so great. She's so positive. Like, I love the fact that she just, she kind of giggles as she's recalling stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's just like, well, you know, like, so-and-so's kind of fallen over there and you could have, <laughs> they could have done a little bit better. Yes, the enthusiasm is so, just, it's so celebratory. I mean, she's a legend. She's an absolute yeah. legend, Jane Ludlow. But yeah, just I just wanted to say something positive because I think this every time I hear her on comms, I just think, oh man, Jane Ludlow's amazing. Um, so you mentioned the racial abuse that Axel Twinsaby got after the Manchester United-Everton uh, game. They, he wasn't the only Manchester United player to receive that this weekend as Lauren no, James right. was subject yeah, yeah. to a number of it on Instagram. And yeah. we did a big thing on Wrighty's House last week about it. I mean, it happened in the week where I think Twitter said that they don't believe that using a monkey emoji is a racist, falls yeah. under racist abuse, right? Is that, have I got that right? That's right. Can I just add something then? What I do want to add to this very quickly, Ryan, is we saw the in sports, they were interviewing Callum Hudson-Odoi about mm. it. Who was brilliant, I thought. Yeah, he was. And also I thought to myself, where are the executives from Twitter on camera? Because I didn't, look, I did um, a, a story about this, about racial abuse online. I had a conversation with Marco Bellello from Twitter um, about this. And I was like, no one ever goes on camera. No one ever goes on record. And I was like, hang on a minute. This isn't good enough, actually. Why aren't you on camera? If you're not on camera, are you just managing the conversation? Mm-hmm. Get white Twitter executives on camera and on recording on film and get them to be accountable. You know, like the, um, in the UK, they've got the select committees. They get MPs and the select committees and they grill them. Get these executives in front of cameras and committees and grill them. I'm, I'm really being serious about this because yeah. why are you grilling footballers who are busy trying to be, Callum Hudson-Odoi is busy trying to boss it in the Premier League and trying to get a starting spot for Chelsea. He's busy, like, sort it out. Weirdly, the amount of shit that sports people get for the money they earn. Sometimes I struggle to think of another industry where so many people are busy doing their own job and also the jobs of others. Yeah, exactly. In a completely different industry. Ryan, that is an amazing, amazing observation. Because there are people earning 10 times the money Callum Hudson-Doy is earning 
yeah. they will never be publicly accountable yeah. for how they earn the money, what they do with the money. And they know that. And it's all, to be honest with you, it's all a bit of a sick joke at this point. It's a really sick yeah. joke. When was the last time, when did you ever see a club director in front of a camera during Black Lives Matter talking about this issue? How many can you name? Maybe like one or two. We saw more integrity from white footballers like Ben Mee. Shout out to Ben Mee at Burnley. He will always be the OG for what he did during Black Lives Matter. We remember this stuff, right? So yeah, you're right. Footballers in other people's jobs. Great observation. Uh, elsewhere, Fran Bundesliga was back this weekend because the Turbina Verde game, which was supposed to be the first game back last week, was postponed. Came back on Friday in an absolute thriller. Yeah, yeah. With Wolfsburg and Turbina Potsdam, which shouts to Jasmina Schreimler. She was at big snowy pitch. Yeah. Orange ball. Wolfsburg three, Turbina two. Turbina did pretty well though. They played the, pretty much the entire second half with, with 10 players after Leia Barnaman got sent off at, just towards the end of the first half. They actually equalized not long after half time yeah. to make it two all. But I mean, playing Wolfsburg at the best of times is pretty difficult, even though we've said before that this is not maybe the Wolfsburg of old but still yeah this felt like this was a if it, to sum up this game it was almost like old hands assert themselves over the young guns there's an amazing goal if you get a chance to see it by um selena cersei from turbina potsdam oh the, yeah the first one cuts between wow. two Wolfsburg defenders and then just curls an absolute beauty from about almost 30 yards mm. in the bottom left hand corner gorgeous strike and a brilliant goal there, but then Jacabi scoring the winner for Wolfsburg. I mean, this is Jacabi's final season for Wolfsburg. Mm. And she's had an incredible time there. But I mean, the headline really is that this game, I mean, Jasmina said this game should not have gone ahead. There were a couple of games no. cancelled. Just to read out what, to summarise what Jasmina sent me. This is really important, I think. So SA Sant um, criticised the DFB for their treatment of this game against SGS Essence. The game was actually cancelled that morning. On Sunday morning. On the Sunday morning. Travelled, right? Right, but it was very clear how bad this was going to be. The forecast was terrible. Gerald Youngman, the manager of SC Sants, was furious. We knew it was in store for us there. The weather forecast was dark red, so a severe warning. Only DFB seemed to have different data. Despite all efforts, the players and the staff were sent to Essen. The game got cancelled on Sunday morning after all. Besides wasting money on hotel costs on a long bus drive, and this is not a game which is that well-funded anyway. Nope. The long bus drive back to Sant on Sunday was a crucial one itself. The road conditions were a catastrophe. People played other people's health here, he added. It took them almost seven hours to drive the 430 kilometres. The club announced they will personally address the DFB in this matter. And so they should, I think. It's just awful, Ryan, actually. There was a parallel between, so Werder Bremen in the, in the men's Bundesliga were due to travel to Bielefeld on Sunday. They were playing the late kickoff, I think, on Sunday which got called off Sunday morning. But I do believe that Bremen were travelling down to Bielefeld the day of the game because it's only a couple of hours by coach. Um, but this, this has echoes of something that happened to Barcelona Femini a couple of weeks ago. Mm. Do you remember when Caroline Graham Hansen came out and was um, really heavily criticised the league about... Yeah, yeah. So Barcelona travelled to Madrid, I think it was, in absolutely treacherous conditions in Spain when Spain had that big snowstorm. Awful. And the game then got called off, but they were kind of stuck there for a couple of days. And I think this is the thing, like the women's arms of these football clubs, it's the same in, with, you know, the Super League and stuff like that. They're operating with vastly inferior budget compared, compared to the men. They can't afford to just waste money on travel or accommodation. 
but let alone the financial aspect. There's player safety at play here. No game is too important to send a, a team or a squad out into conditions like that. And this is what Caroline Graham Hansen said a couple of weeks ago with the Barcelona situation, like driving through treacherous terrain in treacherous conditions in Spain, in the worst snowstorm that Spain has had for decades. It's inexcusable. Shouldn't be leaving. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. Like all of it. I mean, like but it's, pandemic it's or not, Musa, it doesn't really matter. If there is a hint of risk to player safety, then they shouldn't have gone. Yeah. It was so clear that the weather in, in Germany this weekend was going to be really ropey. I would classify this as non-essential travel. In severe weather conditions... If clubs are like, listen, like, we cannot travel here. Like, of course, I, I would make it, I'd make it political. I'd make it political. I'd say non-essential. I would, I would classify traveling to sports games in conditions of dark red as non-essential travel. The only vehicles yeah, that should be on the roads um, at certain times should be maybe emergency vehicles, whatever, but, but not, for, not for this. Yeah, but the DFB really needs to like fix up here because they have a duty of care. And it's, it's just yet another example. And we've said it before on this podcast, I've lost count how many times, but it's another example of women's sport being treated in a very different way or with a very differing level of respect to a lot of men's sports, even yeah. by sometimes the same institutions that govern them both. Yes, yes, to yes. To be honest, I don't want to play like worst case scenario, but what happens if there's an accident? And they forced them out into there to fulfill a fixture that was never going to go ahead in the first place. For what reason? If I was involved at, at Sand, I would be going after the DFB with everything I had because this is sending a team out into that weather over the weekend on German autobahns as well, which are like not for the faint-hearted, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, not at all. To be honest, man, it makes me feel a bit sick. Actually. You know what it is as well? I think in a weird way, I feel like shout out to the coach driver, whoever they were, because they pulled, they played a blinder getting that those players safely there and back. I, I, it, it's hard to emphasize just how dangerous that journey was. Mm -hmm. No, I'm glad you said that. Quickly, just to summarize the the key results of the weekend: big wins for Bayern and Hoffenheim. Uh, Bayern what beat Meppen seven one at home. Hoffenheim beat Leverkusen six nil. Those were the only two games that went ahead this weekend, other than Wolfsburg Turbina. So it's. As you were at the top of the Frauen, Bayern are still with a 100% record. Wolfsburg five points behind them in second. Hoffenheim six points behind Wolfsburg in third. All right, man, let's do a couple of games around Europe. I want to start with the Bundesliga, if you don't mind, because... Go for it, go for it. Let's start in the Schwarzwald. Yes, yes, yes. Let's go to the beautiful, beautiful Germany's Black Forest. Indeed. Christian Streichgott's first ever victory over Borussia Dortmund. Wonderful. Freiburg beat Dortmund 2-1 at home. An unbelievable goal from Jong. Jong's finish was lovely. You know, some of those ones you hit from distance, but you don't even, you don't thrash it. You just put your, you just put your foot through it. It's pure technique. Yeah. Lovely strike. And uh, a bit of a Marvin hits error for the second. Jonathan Schmidt had a speculative effort. I think the, the, the position, well, or the presence of the post, let's say, kind of threw hits off a little bit because it looked yeah, like yeah. he was about to clatter into it. But still, Dortmund had to turn to Yusofa Makoku, who came on and got one back for Dortmund with a quarter of an hour to go. Lovely assist from Erling Haaland. Weirdly, that goal was basically the kind of pass that you see Gio Reyna or Jadon Sancho laying off for Haaland. Yeah. And it was Haaland laying it off for Makoku. He's got incredible character, Makoku. Each, you yeah. know, when, so, you know, 16 years old, this kid. And in Dortmund's losses, mm. he's lost, they've lost a couple of games, but each time in the losses, he loves possession he never hides he's always always the catalyst I think it was at Union when they lost they lost at Union and he scored against them and I was like 
Makoko is running this. Mm. Like he's genuinely, genuinely fearless. And I don't think it's a youth thing. I think it's like the Ansu Fati thing mm. or, or Pedri. I don't think it's, it's about, they're just good enough. Yeah, they're just ready. I wish the president wasn't on them, but they're just good enough. It's court vision, isn't it? They've got the court vision. It's like Luka yeah. Doncic. They're just ready. They're old souls, old heads. Yeah. I'm going to save the big existential stuff about Dortmund for another time because... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there will be another... Uh, there is another conversation to be had around Dortmund. By Leverkusen, they're back to big, big winning ways with a really good win over Stuttgart. They won 5-2 on the weekend. And Stuttgart have been impressive this season. Mm. Performing really well, especially away from home. So a really, really good result for Leverkusen. Probably the biggest result of the weekend, I think, in the Bundesliga was uh, Gladbach losing at home to Köln in the derby. Yep, that's right. Yeah, I said that's right. Gladbach were poor. They were really, really poor, actually. And I think this will concern Marco Rosa a lot, who was, by the way, extremely spiky pre-game. Uh, I was watching it on Sky, Sky Germany, and he was being asked about the Dortmund job for the game. Wow. And okay. he was extremely spiky in his responses, basically saying, same thing every week. I'm focused on Gladbach. I have my contract here, blah, 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 the usual stuff. And then there was a moment, I can't remember who the commentator was. Archie Rintut also pointed this out on Twitter. There was a moment where he, he kind of kept pushing this, this Dortmund thing and Rosa just stopped and just looked at him live on air for what went on a little bit too long. Wow. It was uh, fun to watch, put it that way. He also had some hair issues. The way, it was quite windy in Gladbach and it mm. gave, gave him a little accidental mohawk. So he came out for the game with a cap on, which I thought was quite cute. It was, one, it was a hilarious moment during the uh, Hertha buying game when it was snowing and before Lewandowski took his penalty, he looked like the Frost Giant because his hair was kind of like snow-capped. He looked like Mont Blanc. <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of weird hair stuff going on in the Bundesliga. Um, the concern for Gladbach was the concession of their second goal was extremely yeah, sluggish. Really, really sluggish. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Just, you know what it was? It just looked, I mean, heavy legged, sluggish, lack of intensity. And, you know, I mean, Cole needed this desperately and they came with I that mean, intensity. They really, really did. I mean, on paper, you thought that Gladbach would have been far too strong for them. But it's a, dar it's a derby, you know. It is a derby. And I mean, the problem that Gladbach had was that they had, they had tons of the ball and they just couldn't really create anything. I don't even, I can't even remember them really. Like even apart from the goal, I mean, even the goal wasn't really a chance. Horrible, it took yeah. like three deflections on the way yeah. in. It's going to be a tricky run of fixtures for Gladbach now because, I mean, to be honest, I, I've got a feeling that the next couple of weeks things are going to explode in terms of chaos. I think we're, we're going to start to see chaos like we've never seen. February is going to be, I'm going to call it the month of fire. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there you go, everyone. Part, part, no like, <laughs> part of me is like, inject it. <laughs> Rise, fire, and ice. That's what it's going to be. It's really <laughs> a cold. Song, it's a really song of cold. rice and fire. Yeah. It's a song really of rice and fire. But the football is going to be extremely heated over the next few weeks because we've got the European competitions returning. For some reason, we've got an international break coming up. So things are about to get a little bit hairy, I think. Um, do you want to go to Spain? Yeah, let's do it. Because we need to talk about Frankie de Jong's centre-back. <laughs> oh my goodness. Think of a substitution this season that has summed up an entire manager's energy. I put it this way, if you could do season reviews I mean, that's too of easy managers to based on substitutions, Ronald Koeman getting a centre-back injury and bringing on, in the 10th minute, and yeah. bringing on Frankie Diong when he had two <laughs> centre-backs on the bench. 
The only the only, thing that trumps, the only thing that trumps that is is bring on Felipe Melo in the final minutes of the Libertadores. Oh that's the only that's the only one. <laughs> that's the only one. <laughs> only because only because you know the coach turned his 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 bench was like, <laughs> let's make some memes, baby. if there's ever been a substitute that was for the memes there are going to be substitutions that get revealed long after the careers are finished to be like yeah that we did that for the that was fan service we did that for the that was a yeah that was big on that was a big lol factor (laughs) expected lols we needed we needed to up the expected lols a lol a lol substitution that might be my favourite substitution of the season 12th minute Ronald Araujo off (laughs) bring the Tiong on (laughs) We have to have a favourite substitution award. <laughs> I think that's my favourite substitution of the season so it's far. In, it's incredible. It's incredible. Because I had missed the first quarter of an hour and I turned it on and I was like, huh? <laughs> huh? No. Yeah, that is that is Frankie Dong at centre-back. Incredible. And then I checked the lineups, saw what I'd missed, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, no, he did that. He's getting a tune out of Barcelona. He is getting a tune out of them. I mean, this was a really good game, by the way. So let's back up. Real Betis 2, Barcelona 3. Uh, Betis took the lead with Borja Iglesias, which was a really good goal, I thought. It was a really fun goal. And also, I just really like it when, when Iglesias scores, when Borja scores, because he's like, like his smile behind his massive beard is just like really, it's impossible not to be happy about when you see him smiling. There's a lot of wholesomeness in that Betis squad, actually. There is, there, there is. is. And a, also with, with the slightly darker grey Manuel Pellegrini, Yes. It's like myth- mythical nature to Pellegrini at the moment. This is a trailer of when you move to Seville, isn't it? This is you just trailer. needed to go to Seville, man. There's something yeah. in the water there. It's yeah. like, it's, it's, he's de-aging. It's really weird. He's, he's, he's getting younger. But Barca weren't great in the first half and it all kind of changed in the second. I think the, one of the first big changes was when they brought on Pedri, actually. I also thought that I thought Dembele was man of the match. When, he, when he's on, he's ridiculous. I'm really, really pleased with him because he's looking like the Dembele that we knew was yeah. there. Yeah. Just was struggling for form and fitness. He's a good example of someone that needs to hang around Barcelona as long as possible. I think if you spend that much money on a player, you just keep him as part of the furniture because he will just go and he's good enough that he could go. But this, if Dembele goes on a run now from the start of next season where he has like four lights out seasons, no one is talking about that price tag anymore. No. They're not. They're, no. not, they're not talking about it. Not at all. He basically made that, that messy goal. And then Barca took the lead. Victor Ruiz. Oh, it was a big 10 minutes for Victor Ruiz. Got the own goal. Got the equaliser uh, for Betis. And then got booked two minutes later. It was a big, like... It's like a royal flush, isn't it? Victor, it's like Victor Ruiz bingo. <laughs> and then, yeah, Trincao with a lovely, lovely, lovely winner for Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing that I really loved about this was Messi's reaction. Don't usually see Messi do the, the childlike, joyful reaction to other people's goals. You know, and he leaps into the arm of the player. Yeah. yeah. But no, but like, if you look, watch the replay, when the ball goes in, he does the kind of like, oh my God, arms are in the air. And he's yeah. kind of like, yeah, oh, like that kind of, yes. Yeah. And you don't usually see that, I don't think. No, that's Leo. really interesting. Yeah. It's always, I always love watching his reaction to like younger players' goals in particular. Well, everyone's mm. younger at this point than Messi, but no, but like, you know, young players' goals. It's really interesting to see the relationship he has with them. I mean, his pass for Victor Ruiz on goal, that pass he made to Jordi Alba was just... It's absolutely terrifying. He's basically LeBron James, isn't he? He scores because, yeah, yeah, he, ha- he, yeah, scores yeah. because he has to, but he's primary a creator. What's really nice about Messi in recent games has been when 
his team have scored goals and he had no involvement. Mm. And he's almost like his body language is trusting them to get on with it. You know, he's not leaping to be in the box to clean up. He's like, no, they've got this. They've got this on the counter. They've got this. That's really encouraging for Barcelona. Moving into a nice rhythm at the right time, I think. Well, I mean, just any kind of rhythm would have, they would have taken, especially where they were at points early that's, on in the season. That's the absolute truth. They remain second, you know, because Real Madrid kind of got out of trouble against Wesker. Yes. Varane with two centre-forwards finishes. Extremely brave. Like the header and the finish at the far post, both of them risking physical injury. Uh, it was his first brace in seven, nearly seven years. He got a brace in the cup against Cornella, I think, in 2014. It's his first league brace. However, you could see that Cresco are the side in La Liga who can see the most from set pieces. <laughs> That's the thing about Cuesca. When you play Cuesca, the set piece is never truly over. <laughs> there you go. That, that is like, it's like Balzac. It's poetic, yeah. Thanks very much. Very, very quickly, um, just want to shout out Ayeth Abel and Alexander Izak. Yeah. Who have got a brace for L'Areal. They beat Cadiz. 4-1 on the weekend. They were due a return to that kind of form. They would do that. Athletic club against Valencia was a really good game this weekend, aka the Marcelino derby. The thing I loved most about this game was after the game, Marcelino was stood there speaking, like chatting to all the Valencia players and it was all like smiles and hugs and laughing and they were just there for ages <laughs> chatting. It was so wholesome. I love that stuff. Other slightly interesting result, I suppose. Severe Getafe 3-0. Papu Gomez. There are certain signings where a player is immediately, that's a severe player. Why didn't that happen sooner? Well, did you not see my tweet about it a couple of weeks ago? Oh, really? I when didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, I was like, basically, I said, Papu Gomez is such a severe player that Monchi's probably kicking himself he didn't get him a decade ago. Oh my God, this is what I felt about Ross Barkley. There's, there's a certain signings where it's just yeah. like, what the hell were we thinking not doing this earlier? Yeah, I like that a lot. Before we do the jump to Serie A, PSG beat Marseille 2-0 in... But, I mean, Marseille were all over the place at the moment. It was very, very easy for PSG. Yeah, and Bappe. Uh, yeah. Dimitri Payet with a very horrible studs into the, the Horrible challenge. Of... That's a horrible challenge. Verratti, I think it was. Verratti, yeah, who was really struggling enough. He was struggling to shake Poch's hand up when he came He up. came off the end. He was just like, look at this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that was nasty. And, and, but but Payet looked genuinely shocked that he'd been sent off. It was just like, dude. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it was nasty. Also, Lille won again to stay top in Liga. Yeah, and pr- probably like the biggest thriller of the weekend was Monaco Nîmes four three. Right, go on, dude. Quick Serie A roundup before we get out of here. Yeah, just a quick jump to Serie A. Um, I suppose the um, notable fixtures: Milan won four nil, mm. two goals for Slatan, two for Rebic, and that's important primarily because Slatan's back to form now. He had he was on a bit of a journey the last couple of games, struggling, but um, now looking good. Juve beating Roma two nil. Cristiano Ronaldo showing up as he does uh, invariably in these games, and then the other game that was. Really quite interesting was uh, Atalanta 3, Torino 3, mm. where Atalanta got off to a flyer. And then this game being almost a microcosm of Atalanta's season so far, they're in seventh place and they are having a chaotic season. Seventh mm. place, struggling to close teams out, conceding far too many goals because teams have worked out to go at them. So they went 3-0 up, three goals in five, seven minutes, um, and then got pegged back to 3 all. And that's kind of what they say, uh, that's on period, as they would say. That's Atalanta mm. this year having very much a transitional season, I think. Inter beat Fiorentina on Friday 2-0. Good result for Inter. But the only other thing I want to pull out for Serie A was uh, Napoli losing 2-1 to Genoa. Yeah, the first two goals for a while for Pandev. Goran Pandev is like 37. Um, Gattuso said after the game that they shot themselves in the foot and that basically every single Napoli defeat is, is a photocopy of the other. 
That's um, very fair, you know. Bit, it's very fair. There's a bit of talk about his his job. It's weird because not too long ago we were talking about that amazing run they were on where they were battering everyone, do you remember? I'm concerned by talk about his job because I think that Napoli's peaks make him worth staying with, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The second manager, especially in a chaotic season like this, where you can't see, where you can, there's very visibly a ceiling to where he can take the team. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, they still have a game in hand on Lazio and Roma above them. And if they win that game in hand, their goal difference is so superior, they're in the Champions League spots. So I can't see them firing him with a potential Champions League spot. I hope they don't fire him because I'm really enjoying him there. But the thing is that they've got, they've got Juventus at home next weekend. Mm. So you never know. We might be talking in a week's time about a massive Gattuso statement victory. There we go. All right, let's get out of here. We've been rambling enough today. Um, don't forget, check Wrighty's house on Wednesday. Yep, yep. I will be joining Wrighty. We hope everyone's staying safe and well. Stay warm, stay cool, depending on where you are in the world. Don't forget you can check us on Twitter at Stadio. You can check us on Instagram at Stadio Football. Make sure you check the ringer.com forward slash soccer. Yeah, we're playing out this week on Batang Frisco sewing machine. And anything else to add, Musa? No, that's all good. All good. Present oh, correct. Love it. Lovely. Short and sweet. All right, everyone, stay safe. We'll see you on Thursday. Take care. Strikes, we penetrate